Welcome back for part two of Pastor Tim's message, Pondering the Power of God, from Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 28. We often pray for the manifest presence of God. We often pray for the glory of God to be revealed. We often pray for the power of God to be on display. And when he shows up, we often shut down. Sometimes we don't know how to act when the only explanation is the activity of God. May we not be like any of the people that we read about in this section of Luke 11 today. Here's Pastor Tim. The church should rejoice, but secondly, the church should revere. We should reverence not just what he does, but who he is. God is not the man upstairs. He's not jolly Santa sitting there with a list ready to make your, uh, you know, your greatest dreams come true. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not your good buddy. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. What do you find people doing when they, when they are in the presence of Jesus in the Bible and they know and they recognize Him for who He is. What do they do? They fall down on their face, don't they? They fall down in humility before Him. That's what we should do. What gets in the way of humility more than anything else is pride. It's pride that will keep you in your seat at invitation time. It's pride that will keep you from expressing what God has done in your own life. It's pride that will keep you from prayer. It's pride that will keep you away from the Bible. It's pride that will keep you away from reverence and from worship. There needs to be more celebrating in church as we see God at work and His activity happening right here. All right, let's move on. There's some specific groups of people in this next section. Verse number 15, they're called the sum. And in verse number 16, they're called the others. We're going to lump them in one big group together and call them the murmurers. Because that's what they are. They're just murmuring. They are, they're murmuring. Do this for me. All right, on the count of three, I want you to say the word murmur. Okay? You ready? One, two, three. Murmur. Sounds like just exactly what it is, doesn't it? It's just murmuring. It's just, it's just talking sometimes under your breath, sometimes over others, but it's always in disbelief. It's always in the mode of trying to find a different explanation. I can't choose God for my answer. I need to find something else. And so I begin to murmur, hoping to gain a little bit of ground, a little bit of traction, so that my answer becomes palatable. What do murmurers do? They criticize. That's what you find here. The murmurers criticized. It's because that's who they are. They're looking for fault as they look for answers. You see, if they've already come to a point of saying, Jesus can't be the answer. I need to look for somebody else. <clears throat> if Jesus isn't the answer then, and yet you've got a group of people who are saying, yeah, you go, Jesus. Like, did you see what Jesus did? You got this mute man saying, this is what Jesus did for me. He unloosed my vocal cords. 
they're going to disparage Jesus. They're going to make you think that you're foolish. If you have any kind of inkling that Jesus might have something to do with the good things going on in your life. And so they begin to criticize. They criticize the person of God. They criticize the Word of God. They criticize the people of God. They criticize the works of God. Everything about Him, they begin to criticize. It tells you that it's not just a part of their mind. It's a part of their heart. It's a part of who they are. It's born out of that critical spirit. It's born out of that root of bitterness that's taken up root and begin to flower itself in criticism. I want you to notice some things about these people. And I hope that you'll look at this and you'll say, you know what, I don't want to be that way. When I see God work, this is not how I want to respond. I want to respond the way God would have me respond and not follow in the footsteps of these people. Let me give them to you. They're one, two, three, four, five. Here we go. You ready? Number one. They were ungrateful. That's what it tells you about their heart. That they are ungrateful. We were just singing it just a while ago. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Thank you, Jesus, you know, for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus. What you would expect at least when it says the demon went out, the mute spoke, and the crowd said thank you. (laughs) You know, at least that. But they don't say thank you because they're unthankful. Look at this. Look, if you will, there in verse number 15. Some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. By the way, let's, let me do it with you this way. Let me tell you how you can develop a heart of ingratitude. How you can become a critical person with a critical spirit who murmurs all the time around church. You want to know how to do that? All right, well, look at this. Number one, you give praise and honor and credit and glory and worth to anyone or anything other than God. You do that, and you're sure to develop a heart of ingratitude. That's what they did. They saw what Jesus did, and they said, oh, uh, uh, Jesus didn't do that. He did that by the power of Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies. He did that by 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 the ruler of all the demons. Why would you give credit to a demon? Why would you give credit to Satan when the credit and the honor and the glory and the worship and the praise goes to Jesus? You want to have a heart of ingratitude? Get your glories mixed up. Number two, if you try to trick Jesus, if you try to force His hand, if you try to manipulate Him, you're going to develop a heart of ingratitude. Look at what they do next. It says others testing Him. So now they're trying to test Jesus. Jesus... (laughs) All right, if you really want us to believe that you healed this man of this demon, then we want you to do something else. You know, it's not, that's not enough. We need to see it again. You know what's going to happen every time you try to test Jesus, every time you try to manipulate him? It's not going to work out the way that you want to. 
So what do we do? We get mad because Jesus doesn't do what we want Him to do or think that He ought to do. You want to develop a heart of ingratitude? Get mad at Jesus because He won't act the way you want Him to act. Because you tried to manipulate Him. You tried to trick Him. You tried to test Him. And it just didn't work. Number three, it's at the end of verse number 16, when it says they tested Him and they sought from Him a sign from heaven. Ask God for a sign that's outside of His word and His will, and you'll surely be disappointed, and you surely will have ingratitude. Remember, they came to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, we want to see a sign from you. We want to see you do something. Perform for us, monkey. And Jesus said, I will not give you any sign except the sign of Jonah. You want a sign? I'll give you that sign. I'll be raised from the dead in three days. You know, beat that, will you? Why did Jesus perform this miracle? Why, Why did Jesus perform any miracle? The very first miracle that Jesus performs is in John chapter number 2 when he changes the water into wine, okay? At the close of that section, the Bible tells us why he performed that miracle and why he performs every miracle. And there are two reasons that he gives. Number one, to put his glory on display. That's why he does that. He doesn't doesn't do that. He doesn't heal somebody just to heal somebody. He doesn't free a man from a demon just to free him from a demon. He puts his glory on display for people to see. And number two, he does it so that he gives them a reason to believe. If they won't believe, (laughs) if they won't believe in this case about about the man being cleansed of a demon... They're not going to believe no matter what sign Jesus does. In the same way that the rich man in hell says, Jesus, please just send somebody back to my brother so that they won't come back to this awful place. And he says, nope. They've got the Scriptures. And if they won't believe the Scriptures, they wouldn't believe even if somebody were to rise from the dead. What he's saying is, if you won't believe him for who he is and who he claims to be, then you won't believe no matter what he does in your life. It's never, ever going to be enough. That's how you become ungrateful. And that's who they are. They're ungrateful. Number two, they're unregenerate. We may say that they're unsaved. These are unbelievers. I mean, imagine what they saw. If, if, the, if the point of the miracle, one of those points is to give them a reason to believe, and they still refuse to believe, they're throwing it right back in the face of God. He's showing them everything that they need to see. For example, look, if you will, in verse number 17. It begins by saying this, and, but he, that's Jesus, Knowing their thoughts. He knows your thoughts. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what your attitudes are. He knows those things. It is the omniscience of God that He knows everything. Right? It's His omniscience. They see His omniscience at work, and still they won't believe. Look at what He says to them. He says to them, 
Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. It is the perfect answer. What they get to see and be a part of is the wisdom of God. Jesus shows them the wisdom of God, and yet they refuse to believe. How can Satan cast out Satan? Yeah, but that's what you're doing. They just refuse to believe despite what's right there in front of them. Look as, look as the next verse continues on. He says in verse number 19, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. What he's saying is, listen, you judge yourself in this. And by the way, speaking of judgment, you not only judge yourself, but you're going to be judged one day. He shows them the judgment of God that is to come, and still they won't believe. It is belief that's going to be the fulcrum on the seesaw of, of that judgment. And they still won't believe. Look at the next verse. Look at verse number 20. He says, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, you know what I think about with that? I think he just goes, boop. <laughs> you know, just that finger, just a, just a flick, and the demon's gone. What the man couldn't do for himself, what the priest couldn't do, what even the disciples couldn't do, with just the flick of his finger, he's gone. They get to see the work of God, the power of God that's on display right there in front of them, and still they won't believe. Look as verse number 20 finishes. He says, if I do this, bloop, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. He said, listen, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom is here. You don't recognize it, and you still won't believe. They refused to believe. They saw the omniscience of God, the wisdom of God, the judgment of God, the work of God, the kingdom of God, and still they refused to say Jesus is Lord and that He has done this. That's why they're unregenerate. Because they remain unbelievers no matter what they see right there in front of them. Number three, they were unprotected they were unprotected. What we discover as Jesus continues to speak to them is they're really not any better off than the demon-possessed man who was mute. And they're not. That man had been unguarded. And demons came in and took care of him. These people are in the same exact boat. Look at how unguarded they are. He says in verse number 21, he uses this as an illustration. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace, or they're, they're secure. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. See, these people thought that they had it all together. They thought they'd figured it out. I don't need Jesus in my life. 
<laughs> I don't need God doing anything. Listen, science and logic and philosophy and the, and the ways of this world, man, that's enough for me. And as, as long as I keep myself, you know, in, in, in this, I, you know, I'm strong enough in my own willpower, man, to stay away from some of that bad stuff. I'm just, I'm going to be okay. Strong, I mean, greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. But not greater is you than he who's in the world. He thinks he's strong enough. He finds his security in the fact that he is fully armed. And that he's, he's intentional. But when that one who's stronger than him comes, look, he overcomes him. He takes from his, all his armor the things that he trusted in. Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your job. Wherever it is that you place your security, this thing comes in and just rips it away from you. Find that you're as unprotected as the, as the uh, illustration there in verses 24, 25, and 26 that we talked about earlier. Unprotected. I want you to say something else. They were uncommitted. They were uncommitted. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Pick a side. You know, sometimes I'm driving, you know, and you got that person, they kind of, they, they lean over into this lane. They look like they're going to change lanes. They don't. They come back. You know, they just like, you know, I usually I just say, pick a, pick a lane. <laughs> I don't even care at this point. Just pick one, and then I'll pick one, right? It's kind of what Jesus is saying. Just pick one. Pick a side. Whose side are you going to be on? Are you going to be on Jesus' side? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to believe in him? Are you going to follow him? Or not? Choose. But they're not willing to commit themselves. They want to ride the fence. They want to walk down the middle of the road, however it is that you want to use that illustration. They don't want to side. Here's the part that gets me, I think, more than the rest of them. Number six or five or however many we got, they were unaware. They were unaware. You know, just like Peter who, who, who seems like he has to say something just because it's quiet and it seems like something needs to be said, is a woman from this group. Look at verse 27. It happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. Wait, what? Where did, where did that come from? It's almost as if she just has to say something. Unaware of what's really going on. Here's the issue. Jesus settles it for. He says, more than that. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and who keep it. That's who's blessed. Those who hear God's word and they follow him in obedience. It's the blessings that follow obedience. It's the answers of prayer that follow obedience. Do what God has called you to do. Be the person that God's called you to be. And watch God do what you never even imagined that he could do. And then praise him for it. What do you do as a church? I mean... If you go down to that very last verse, 
I mean, not me talking, but just reading the Scriptures. You have heard the Word of God. Now to be obedient. What do you do? Some of you need to be obedient during the invitation. Maybe come to me. Maybe be able to say, Tim, I need to give my heart to Jesus. I know it. I've been putting it off. I need to do that. Maybe I need to plant my life in this church. Maybe you don't need me at all. Maybe you just come to the altar and spend time. Man, how beautiful it was a few weeks ago. You saw people come to the altar, but then you saw their friends come and surround them in prayer. Maybe that's being obedient today. What do you need to do? Let's do it. Jesus, speak. Your servant is listening. Your servant wants to obey. Your servant wants to follow. Your servant wants you to be honored and glorified and worshipped today. So bless us, Holy Spirit, with your guidance, with your next steps. Thank you today for showing us your glory. Thank you... For, for giving us good reason to believe. Help us to see it clearly and act appropriately. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand with Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.